Hi, this is Amy Impelizari, host of Tall Poppies Presents I Know How This Book Ends, the podcast where we get to the story behind the story of the biggest books this year. Today, I am so excited to be talking with my friend, uh, Amy Reichert, fellow Tall Poppy writer, author of the newest novel, The Kindred Spirits Supper Club. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm just excited to be here. I know. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, I, of course, we've known each other through the Tall Poppy Writers, but um, I've, you know, obviously a fan and a reader. And I don't know if people know this tidbit about you, but you are the resident chef of the Tall Poppy Writers. And that shouldn't surprise anyone <laughs> because food is certainly a very exciting theme of all of your novels. And we're going to talk about that. But First, I do need to give people sort of a little insight of what it is to be the tall poppy writer resident chef, right? Which Absolutely. Is an incredible feat. So normally when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic, we meet the tall poppy writers meet as a group of women, you know, 40 some women in usually Chicago in a big Airbnb and hole up for the weekend and plan our year and talk writing and craft and the business. And Amy Reichert cooks every meal <laughs> for all of us for the entire weekend. Am I misstating what happens? You are not. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. And There's guys, I'm not talking about like, you know, uh, tater tots. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> gourmet spreads, incredible soups and potato bars. And I mean, I just can't even tell you the desserts are made. I mean, she shows up with coolers of food and shopping bags, right? I mean, it's yes. just amazing. How oh, much, yes. Tell us how much planning goes. I can't even imagine how many weeks of planning goes into this beforehand. Well, Dietary restrictions are accommodated. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I have clearly stated if there's ever a vegan, they're on their own. Right. I'm, I'll give them. That's where you draw the line. That is where I draw the line. The, you, you, you can have no gluten. You can have no butter, but you can't have both. And you can't have, and then no meat on top of it. I can't do that. So it is, as far as preparation, it's a lot less than it used to be. Uh, simply because I keep track of what I do every year. So I have all of my lists on spreadsheets. I have all the supplies I need to bring and all the ingredients for all the recipes I make. And I usually just swap out one or two things. I don't do a lot of changing from year to year because people seem to like what they get. Yes. So yes. why, you know, fix something we look that's not broken? Forward to the we look forward to the menu yes. in the same way we look forward to the, the company and the, the company. wine, frankly. So yes. it's just, yes. um, yeah, so it's definitely a scene. So... Yeah. So thank you for that. Let me just yeah, publicly you're thank welcome. you for being the resident <laughs> poppy chef. And so, of course, food is a common theme in your books. Yes. I, I'm sure people are familiar with your amazing debut, Coincidence of Coconut Cake, mm -hmm. and followed by Love, Luck, Love, and Lemon Pie. Yep. Did I get that right? Yes. Yep, you and got that right. Followed by Simplicity of Cider, and then followed by Optimus Guide to Letting Go, which you might think doesn't involve food, but oh, it does, because it involves a grilled cheese truck that just makes your mouth water the entire time you're reading that book. And so, of course, that brings us to your latest novel, The Kindred Spirits Supper Club. 
tell us about the, first of all, why, why is Supper Club and, mm-hmm. and how did the story come to be? So first to understand what, what the Supper Club is in the book, I need to explain what Supper Club means in Wisconsin. Yeah. Cause it yeah. is different than what people outside of Wisconsin might think of. Um, yeah. It isn't, so tell us that. Yeah. It's not a place where you need to have a membership. It's just a restaurant. It's a type of restaurant somewhere between fine dining and family dining. Some are more formal, some are more casual. Uh, there are, there, there's similarities, you know, there's a bar, there has to be a bar because you have to have your brand deal fashions. Uh, there, there is usually some sort of a steak prime rib component, surf and turf kind of stuff. Um, there's always like little nibbles at the bar that you can snack on. And usually there's like some sort of um, cheese spread with crackers and breadsticks that you have when you sit down at your table. And there's, there, but there's little differences. Okay. Um, but the, the real thing about a supper club is it's, it's an, ex, it's a night out. It's not someplace you go for a quick bite to eat. Right. Chances are you're going to be there for three to four hours. A lot. If you're doing it right, you go in. You sit at the bar for a while and you have an old fashioned or two. Then you go have your dinner. And then oftentimes you'll go back to the bar or the best ones have a lot of outdoor seating. So you can kind of hang out outside on a nice summer night. Uh, So they're just really about getting out and having good company and good food. And, And oftentimes they're not in a city they're actually on the outskirts of town or maybe even between a few different more rural towns. Right. Uh, because they're kind of, your, like I said, they're meant to be a night out. So you drive to them. Uh, so right. They're, yeah, they're just a fun Wisconsin tradition. They used to be more widespread in the country in the 50s and 60s. And then over mm-hmm. time, they've started, they just closed and closed and closed. And many in Wisconsin have closed as well. Uh, they're also almost all, well, they are all family run. So when you come in, you're, whether you've been there before or not, you're going to be greeted like a a cousin. (laughs) And do you have your favorite supper club? Um, I do have some favorites. Uh, There is one that I based the supper club in the book off of. Uh, The real name is Ishnala. Uh, It's outside of the Dells. And did they know that you were doing this, that you were? They did not. Ah, do they know now? I don't think they do. Maybe. I don't know. I'm really weird about <laughs> letting like real people know what I'm do- doing. <laughs> it's very, do I don't, think that is, that's so funny. I don't know. I don't like the attention in-person attention of telling people that I write books. It just makes me very uncomfortable. I think because I know the inevitable disappointed look they're going to make when I finally explain the books I've written and they're like, Oh, I haven't heard of those. <laughs> okay. That, isn't that interesting? Nobody ever, that's such an interesting thing, right? Because we all, all of us writers, we have that yes. fear, but we, yes. but, we, but I've never really put my finger on it or been able to articulate it the way you just did, which is so fascinating to me because of course, as soon as you tell somebody that you are a professional writer and it doesn't matter that your, your books have been sold everywhere books have been sold. Yes. And, and, you know, certainly if you're running into somebody in your town, they're, they're, they're shelved front and center at the local bookstores. And mm-hmm. so, but still you do feel that sort of insecurity about 
letting them know that that's what you do. Isn't that funny? I had never heard it articulated quite that way. And so there you are. There, there, that's, that's so, you know, if you ever meet me and I never tell you what I do, that's why. <laughs> How do you dance around the question? I, I really, well, I just don't leave my house anymore now, do I? Right. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way to have to avoid, to avoid people um, having to ask I, you, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I, in truth, I don't do a lot of things where I'm meeting new people. Right. So, you, you're um, meeting them at a book event and they already know who right. you are and you already have a shorthand to the answer. Yes. And all of the people in my, like my friend circle and my husband's circle all know what I do. Uh, so, I mean, the really, all, the only other place I go is the gym and, and I'm too busy sweating to really talk about things there. Nobody's talking, nobody's talking books at the gym. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, I do think it's very fun that you based the story on a real separate club and I can't help but wonder what they would think if they knew. I think that's really fascinating. We'll have to try to push you to make that disclosure to them. <laughs> We're going to send them the podcast link. <laughs> there you go. You can do that. Well, you never know. I, I imagine people will be going there. A few people will be going in there all summer going, did you know that this is based off? Ah, yeah. Are they reopened? Are the supper clubs reopening in Wisconsin uh, now? Yes. They, we've been open in Wisconsin for a very, very long time. Yeah, especially especially a supper clubs. Like I said, they're usually not in a city, so they're going to be out in the middle of nowhere where it's just lawless. They can right. <laughs> the wild <laughs> west, quite yes. literally. They're just doing what they want. So yeah, I I'd be surprised if they even ever closed. To be honest, especially the ones up north. That's so funny. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. I don't know if you remember this, but you and I were at a book festival in the Hamptons a few years ago for bedside oh, reading. So fun. So much fun, right? Can we go in back? Fact, yes. I would very much like to go back bedside reading if you're listening to this, because yes. that was truly the last last year. We were there a couple of years ago, but then last February I was there for uh their festival. And that was literally the last thing I did before the shutdown because it was the last week of February. Yeah. And so I've been daydreaming about going back for a bedside reading festival ever since. And I can remember sitting with you. We had dinner at Topping Rose, all of the authors at the festival, and we were talking about books we were working on. And I have this memory, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong, that you were talking about a ghost story. And it was it this book that you were working on back then? Yes, it had to be. So that yeah. would have been what 2020? Yeah, yes, cuz I I yes. was Yeah, we must have been Yeah, I was we had sold it at that point. I'm pretty sure. Because this is a little bit of a departure for you, even though we're talking about how it ha- includes like a familiar theme mm-hmm. of food, right, and spirits. But the ghost story was a little mm-hmm. bit of a departure for you, which was so exciting for me to hear and then even more exciting for me to get my hands on. So tell me about how it came to be, because I don't think I asked you that night. I think we didn't get to it. How it came to be that you decided to write a ghost story. So first, it's not, well, it, well yes, there's a ghost in it or ghosts yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. It is very much so not, when I think of a ghost story, I think of creepy and kind of scary and there is really no that is not scary, what scary that is not at all what this is so it is very much so a rom-com with food and some ghosts and it came is, to 
such a fabulous concept. And I, I would so. never have thought all those things went together. And then here I read this book and I realized, but they absolutely do. So they tell do. us how you figured out before any of us that it would go together. <laughs> So I knew I wanted to set this book in the Wisconsin Dells. I knew I wanted a supper club. I knew my main character was going to drive duck boat, duck boats to give tours. And I was in the Dells doing research. And I was hoping to find, as a, just as a career, I kind of want to, I, I like the more fantastical elements, the more speculative elements. In, I like reading books like that. And I like putting them into my books. So I see myself going more and more in that vein, I hope, uh, assuming places will still buy my books. And so I wanted to find some sort of local lore or legend that I could incorporate into the story. And right smack dab in the middle of the main drag is this bar restaurant called Ghost Molly's Showboat Saloon. And in the book, the main ghost is Ghost Molly. And there isn't a lot of information about her. Uh, all that I could really find was that she lived in the apartment above the bar, which at, at the time when she was alive, it was a soda fountain slash candy store because it was prohibition. So it wouldn't have been a yeah. bar. Um, and she died up there. And when she haunts, she kind of flicks lights and slams, slams doors. Uh, she was troublesome enough for a while that they no longer could rent that apartment. Uh, and that's really it. They're not even sure if Molly's her real name. So I decided to give her a version of life and and see what happened. So and yeah. that's kind of how she she showed up. And I really, I really love Molly. She's probably one of my favorite characters I've ever created. I think that is so fun. I think that was absolutely brilliant. Did you when you told your agent that you had this idea and you were going to be incorporating a <laughs> Something a little different in your next book. Mm -hmm. Were they, was there any pushback or was there just. No, okay, she was all on see. board. Yeah. yeah she oh, was all that. on board. Now at the time I was, we, I was still like, I, I had a previous publisher and that I was done with my existing contract and they had right yep. of first refusal. So they weren't really keen on the new idea, which is why I'm no longer with them. Right. But, but my new publisher was like, yeah, bring it. Bring it. So there you go. <laughs> and so it found a yeah. home. It did. It found a home. So I, re yeah. Yeah. I think that's so special. Do you think that you will continue to, you've given us a little hint that you will continue to stretch the boundaries of romance in, in the way you write going I forward? Want, I want to. Like my next book, without giving away too much, it is... Um, I mean, there's, it's Brigadoon. So you understand, I mean, if you're familiar with the story of Brigadoon, it's a place that disappears and reappears, meets a Milwaukee Christmas market. So okay, there's, uh, <laughs> so there is this component of magical something that is in the next book as well. So I'm really excited. I, and and it seems to be going okay. We'll see how it turns out if it makes any sense when I'm done. Oh my but goodness, I love, I love, this. I love, I actually was thinking about this last night when I couldn't sleep. I love world building and I love, I love that reading books that have to establish rules of some sort. I just finished the book, The Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, Bardugo, Bardugo. Um, it was amazing. And it was set against the backdrop of Yale 
but it had all of this magical undercurrent and lots of ghosts of the creepy nature um, <laughs> in the background. Right. Uh, and it, I just, I love that. I love stuff like that. So I, I really, I like it when I get to create rules, new rules yeah. for the way the world works. And setting is obviously important to you. Are yes. you, you, you often set your books in the Midwest in a familiar place. Are they all, I'm trying to think, I'm going through my head. They right are now. all are in Wisconsin. All, they're all in Wisconsin, right? So would you ever write a story that was set outside of Wisconsin or is that very important to you? So far, it's been really important to me to set them all in Wisconsin. And it's worked really naturally with the way my stories have evolved. Uh, I, I feel like unless my characters are going someplace else to visit, yes. I will always try and ground it here. Because there's, I mean, when they, they talk about write what you know, I feel like, um, you know, that's kind of one of the things they mean. I, I know this setting. I know the people here. So I can create this realistic backdrop to whatever I want to say. Yeah. Uh, so the only other exception I can see is if I just whole cloth create a fictional universe, um, which would be fun to do someday. Right. <laughs> well, you... Your first novel came out in 2015. 15. So you've written a lot in a short span of time. Yes. What was your, tell us about your path up until 2015. What was your path to, to transition to a writer? So prior to, I started writing novels. Well, I started writing The Coincidence of Coconut Cake in 2010. Uh, before that, it had never occurred to me to write creatively. That I funny. was. I love that. that. I knew that about you, but I wanted you to say that. I think that is so funny. Yeah, it just never occurred to me. I was at the time I was staying home with my kids because um, my husband is an attorney and works, especially I'm at sorry that time. For him. I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was. I know. He was. He was pre partner. So when you're trying to become a partner, your soul belongs to the firm and that's just all you do. Yes. So I remember those days well. I have yes. escaped by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and your husband who did not escape. He did was not escape. Still living that life. He was and and I think he kind of and now that he's on the other side of that yeah. bump, it's not quite so bad and he's he's no, much he more efficient. It. He does. He's way more efficient than I am. So he's wildly productive, which is great for me because it affords me a great deal of freedom. Um, and your, so your children are how old? My, they're currently, how old are they? 15 and 17. So, so when they're you getting started pretty writing, they were, they were, oh my God, it's been 11 years. You're yeah. going to make me do four and oh, wow. So they were like four and six. seven, four. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Cause what had happened is they were, my youngest was starting 4k kindergarten Yes. So I knew I wasn't that person who who could be happy just being a stay at home mom. Right. Uh, when once the kids were at school, because you had that you, familiar question mark in your head that a lot of women have when their yes. youngest goes off to school for the first time. Now what? What am I going to do? <laughs> exactly. And so why was it? Why was it writing? Well, a couple different things happened within a short amount of time. I heard an interview because at that time I think Twilight was really big and I'd heard an interview with Stephanie Myers where she had talked about how she'd never pictured herself as a writer before but she'd always told herself stories she was a daydreamer yes. 
And I'm like, that's me. I am a huge daydreamer. I've always done that. And then the second part was um, hearing about this thing called National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. And so sort of the two came together and I started thinking, well, what if I wrote a book and I would want it to be a rom-com and I would want it to be set in Milwaukee and gee, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I think I'm going to set it in a place that I'm familiar with, which it would be a, a kitchen. I've worked in a lot of kitchens from age 14 until 22. I was uh, pretty much every job you could do in a restaurant I've done. Gotcha. Uh, so I had a lot of experience there and I felt comfortable in that world. I did have to do some research about book about restaurant critics, um, but I felt comfortable enough to tackle that without being overwhelmed with other research. And I could just focus on writing a story. Um, so that's kind of where it started. I, I started. And you did write, you did participate in NaNoWriMo? I did for about a week. And then, okay. <laughs> and then going back thing. to my, yeah, going back to my husband, we were in the process of uh, buying a new house. So we had to get our current house packed up and we were selling our current house. So it had to stay neat. Uh, he was in the middle of, um, he's a, he's a banking attorney and one giant bank was buying another giant bank and he was right in the middle of it. So he was working like 20 hour days <laughs> and was oh basically goodness. gone and it was leading up to Christmas. And yes. then my kids came home with lice. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I just couldn't. Because let's just back up for a minute. Let's explain to people what NaNoWriMo is. So it's a commitment to write for the month of November, which right. is terrible timing in most households. Correct. Um, it's a commitment to write every day in the month of November. And a lot of people leave that month right. with s- some semblance of a first draft. Right. But you are now describing the perfect storm of disasters that have yes. happened that happened that month for you. So how could you yeah. possibly write a book in a month? Yes. I couldn't. But I got like 10,000 words in. And I realized I really liked it and I couldn't get it out of my mind. So even though Did I you say 10,000 words, you wrote 10,000 yeah, 10, words. Okay, words. That's a lot of words, right? Okay, that's, that's yeah. That's not more than I'd ever written before on anything. So I, and I found myself coming back to the story, even though in the midst of the chaos of my life. Um, so I would be like at the gym and I'd have an idea and I'd stop working out and I'd go write down a bunch of things. And, uh, and so it wasn't until the following summer that I was able to get back to it and finish it. Um, But I did, I finished it. And then that winter, that December, I went to New York and to a pitch conference. And lo and behold, my fearless group leader was Ann Garvin. And the rest is history. (laughs) The rest is history. Because for those of you who don't know, but everybody does, right? Ann Garvin is (laughs) the the tall poppy writers. And a writing mentor to so many of us. Mm-hmm. And so what was, do you remember any, any brilliant advice Anne gave you when you met her out there? Um, I don't remember any specific advice about that, but we became quick friends and she kindly read like the first five or six chapters of my current book Yeah, because the, the conference we were at was really about pitching the idea to editors and agents. So she, there wasn't really diving into the story. So she did read it, right. and, and and I like to say that she sent it back and said, oh, honey, it's good, but you got so much to learn. She didn't really <laughs> say it that way. 
but she did send me, she did say it has a lot of promise, but here are some of the common mistakes that you've made. And here are some resources that you can use to learn about them so that you can fix them. And I loved that approach because yes. she didn't try and rewrite every word. She said, right. this is what you're doing wrong. And it was stuff right. like telling, not showing too much exposition, yes. that kind of crap. Uh, and it, and then she said, go read about it. And so I yeah. learned how to learn about writing. And that was because you don't know what you don't know when you're writing you your first know. book. Yeah, you don't know. And you need somebody to tell you what you don't know. And I I had that my person who did that for me was Caroline Levitt. And yeah. when you when you find and then I, I like you feel so lucky to have found the right yes. person at the right fork yes. of my writing journey, because when you find somebody who can really like shine a light for you on here, are the things you don't know, but, and here's how to go find out more, right. That can really change your trajectory. It can, so it can. how, so that was, that, that was 2011, was 2011. Okay. So tell, and then tell us the next steps of that journey for coincidence of coconut cake. The next step of that journey was, um, me learning about how to write, thinking I was ready, starting to query, realizing I had no clue what I was doing, learning some more, revising, querying, learning I sucked, and then repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, so it was 14 months of that until I finally got an agent and had written, had revised my manuscript to the point that it was decent enough to garner some attention. Yeah. Um, and that is, I Which think, you the realize biggest... is not that long in the... It's in the scheme of things, it feel that felt like an eternity, eternity. for you. Especially but when you hear a year of of working on your draft is not for a debut novelist. That's not crazy. It's not crazy because I also wasn't. I mean, how many people write a book, query, you know, through thirty agents, don't do any revisions, and then shove it in a drawer? I was just too stubborn. I had written a book, damn it. <laughs> And I was going to revise this sucker until, <laughs> until it worked. Either yes. they told me to go away or someone liked it enough. Uh, so I was just too stubborn. Um, and, and I'm glad because yes. I needed to learn all of those things that I learned. Uh, and finally, I did get an agent. And it was another 10 months before we got a book deal. Um but yeah, and then I was with four books. I had four books with that editor at Gallery. And now you're with Berkeley. Berkeley for this yes. new novel. Now, do you have any drawer books? We're talking about books that are that that end up in the drawer. Do you have any drawer books that are waiting for the I right don't, time? I don't have any completed manuscripts that are drawer books. I have two different books that I started and got like ten thousand words into. And for a variety, like one was a YA that will just never be looked at again. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Would you ever think about resuscitating that? Never say never. Um, you know, I maybe it, I really didn't have a plot, so yeah. okay, it, it just had. Um, I was I was obsessed with the idea of doing something around train graffiti. <laughs> okay, that's really that's, fascinating. That's really all I had. Uh, so I had no idea. Like I was going to be some sort of coming of age story with yes. journalism. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Coming of age with a healthy dose of vandalism. That's right. Uh, So I, but I, I don't know what I would ever do with that. Um, And then the other one was actually, um, so currently I have the Christmas book, but before that, this was the book that I was, I submitted to my, to Berkeley and um, without, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I'm hoping someday I can come back to this, Yeah, but it was, it had a darker humor and to me it was funny as heck, but, (laughs) but not everybody's ready for my dark humor. So Do I you feel that as you transition from the mother of toddlers and young children to teenagers, your humor gets darker. Cause I know mine does. <laughs> I certainly think so because they can join in with you. Yeah. And my yes. daughter has a wicked dark sense of humor and I love it. Yeah. My children yeah. do too. I have a 17 and a 15 year yeah. old boy oh. to, and then a 13 year old girl. Oh. And I always say to people, I love every stage of motherhood. I've never, I've never been the mom that wished for I agree. the past because there were just challenges. And I, I always realized that, but I do say that t- teenage years are challenging, but the best thing is that you no longer have to filter yourself. <laughs> and so I agree. You can just, you can just say what you're thinking when you're thinking it and you can be a you know don't have to be as cautious about everything and as a result we are all hysterical in my house (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea how funny we all could be (laughs) yes so that's great yeah I agree I love I have loved every stage too and I actually really enjoy my kids as teenagers um I only have two and I think that makes a difference uh, and it's this had its there's been challenges for sure, but yeah, I think we're just really lucky. And I can't believe it's like less a little over a year and one is gonna be going to college right. and I just so that's what I was gonna die ask you. inside. Yeah, your, your oldest is a, a junior. A junior. Yeah, same yes. with me. So yeah, next year is a big year, I know. I know we'll, and we'll commiserate she, together. Yes. And she goes back and forth between being so excited about college. And then just dreading the change. She does doesn't really like change a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, none of us really do, right? I know, I know. And then there's and me where I'm like, the world is your oyster. You can do anything. She's got great grades and great test scores. And I'm like, you can go anywhere. Except that they've all had a lot of change in the last year. And they so have. I think everyone's a little change- shy now right I think you're right I'm hoping that we're turning the corner and things are going to feel better and easier soon I hope so Amy thank you so much this has been such a treat you are such a joy uh (laughs) absolutely love this book I love the the I love the unique take on the story and everyone go out and get your copy of the Kindred Spirits Supper Club. Tell everyone the best places to find you. Where are you most active on social media? And tell everyone where they can find out and follow for the newest book information, because this is going to be fun to hear news about your Christmas book. Yes. So the best place is to go to my website, which is Amy E. Reichert, R-E-I-C-H-E-R-T.com. And from there, you can get to my Instagram and which is probably where I'm most active and Twitter um, is probably second. And then the Facebook reluctantly. Uh, also, 
I feel like a lot of us are moving to Instagram primarily, right? I think so too. Uh, But I also have a newsletter on my website that you can sign up for. I'm in the process of revamping how I'm going to be doing that. And it will become a little bit more regular uh, with fun giveaways um, and book recommendations and who knows what else I'll come up with. Oh, fun. Will there be recipes? Maybe. Okay. There you go. Sold. Sold. Thank you so much. Sometimes. Who knows? Thank you so much for having me, Amy. This is great. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much.